Let us turn in God's holy word to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We'll read the first uh, six verses. The first six verses of Hebrews chapter 3. You can find it on page 1374 in the Pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 3. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word and add his blessing to the exposition of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we turn in God's word to Hebrews chapter 3, I trust that if you Remembering Hebrews 1 and 2 to some degree, you find in here already some echoes. I notice in verses 1 and 6, we, we have this therefore, and we were reminded of that in chapter 2. What is the word therefore? And we're to ask that very question. And so we also recognize that in this word, therefore, it's building off of everything that we've learned already, and it's applying it to our, to our lives. And so, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider. It calls us to consider. And later on in verse 6, we find that we are to hold fast to the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And these are really the bookends of this section, even though it continues to build on what we've already learned, that Jesus is superior to all things. As the one that we find in Hebrews 1, verse 1, as the one who is is, uh, speaking to us in these last days, because, because He is the one who has been appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being in the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, he's upholding all things by the very word of his power. It is, it is he who is superior to the angels. It is he who is now superior to Moses. And what the author is wanting to do here is it's wanting to direct the brethren, those who are partakers of the heavenly calling that is in Christ Jesus, the very family of God. He wants to encourage them and direct them to the Lord Jesus Christ, the superiority of Him. In all of their conflicts here below, He wants them to see the apostle and high priest of 
their confession. Well, who is this that they want? Why does he call Jesus an apostle? Children, you probably picked that up and you think, Pastor, is you sure he's talking about Jesus there? The apostle? Is Jesus an apostle? He does, doesn't, didn't he have 12 apostles who brought his word, the glorious news of his resurrection throughout the world? Isn't, aren't those the apostles? Well, we should, should define what an apostle is. An apostle is one who is sent to represent God. It's to represent God before men and to speak on His behalf, especially as someone who is an eyewitness of His glory. And, and who is the greatest apostle of all is Jesus Christ. Because hasn't He been sent by God to speak to us in these last days as the one who is not only an eyewitness of His glory, but the very express image of His glory. He is the greatest apostle of all. And probably, if you had to back up and, and understand this, he comes to us and he identifies with us in, in, in chapter 2 as, as the incarnate Savior. It's the one who comes to be a mediator between God and man as the second man. And we are called to hear him as the one who has come to be a Savior of sinners, to be a high priest. But then... As we come to chapter 3, we recognize that the author is also wise in knowing his audience who were Jews. And, and some of them were impacted by Judaism. And now had become Christian Jews, but were still struggling as Christian Jews. Missing maybe some of their religious rituals. Impacted by Judaizers who denied Christ and His finished work and focused on the law and even elevated Moses to a place of worship among them. And He comes to them and says, No, Jesus is superior even to Moses. And that's what He tells us as well in the last day, of, last Lord's Day of 2021. He comes to us and he asks, who is the person of your confession? Consider him. Have confidence in him. Have a firm rejoicing unto the end in him. To the end of 2021, but also to the end of your life. Christ is superior to Moses. Well, let's, let's look at this. and Let's see this play out for us and apply this to our lives. Christ is superior to Moses, first of all, in faithfulness, and secondly, in glory. And um, as, we, as we conclude, we'll make some applications from that, especially with verses 1 and 6 as we began. Christ is superior to Moses in faithfulness. When we read here, Hebrews chapter 3, we find there that Jesus Christ, who is the one who, who is um, the object of our confession, the apostle and high priest of our confession, he is the one who is faithful to him who appointed him. Remember from chapter 1, 
God had appointed Jesus as heir of all things. He had appointed Jesus as the heir of his house. Of his house. And so he is the one who was faithful to him who appointed him. He was faithful to God, his father, who appointed him to be the son, to be the heir of his house. And then he goes on to say, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. So when we say that Christ is superior to Moses, we aren't saying that Moses was unfaithful, although you could make a contrast and say, well, Jesus was perfect, and you know Moses didn't have a whole lot of confidence when God came to him at the burning bush, did he, children? He says, no, how, how can I, who can't even speak, go before the before your people and and deliver them out of Egypt. It it can't be me, God. Or when he's frustrated with the Israelites and and he's going to, and he's asked by God to speak to the rock so that water would flow out of it. Instead of speaking to it, he strikes it two times out of frustration. You know, you think, well, Jesus was even more faithful than Moses. That's true. But the author of Hebrews doesn't draw that conclusion. He doesn't want to look at the contrast between Moses in, and Jesus in way of perfection. No, he wants us to compare. Compare the faithfulness of Moses to the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to draw his audience in who had great respect for Moses to draw them in and to say, look at Jesus. And the reason for his faithfulness, not because of only his perfection, but because of his fulfillment of everything that Moses pointed to. And so Moses is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus becomes the anti-type I don't have a perfect example for you as children of this, but think about this in the way of building. You have an architectural model, and you, you, you'll have this architect make a, a model of a condominium or something that, he's, that, that they're hoping to build. And, and, it, and it's, it's a model. It's, 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 I don't, it's probably some, some models will fill a room even, but, but it's, it's a model to scale. And, and you can see everything that's going to be in this in this um, condominium and, and maybe a swimming pool and the track and everything else and all the, arch- all the landscape around it. It's all caref- carefully made to represent what's going to be built. And in a certain way, that's the Old Testament tabernacle and Moses, the servant of that tabernacle. And Moses is this type of the Lord Jesus Christ as a deliverer, a leader who is faithful in the house of God. Faithful in the house of God. But I trust that if you think about this architectural model, that you don't think that the model is as good as the actual building, do you? And so he's he's telling these Hebrew Christians, these Jewish Christians, Moses was a a beautiful type of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's not the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's superior to him. But let's just think about this. Let's reflect on what we've learned in Sunday school and in in school and maybe even in your homes about who Jesus is, sorry, who Moses is. If we're going to call him maybe the apostle and high priest of the Old Testament, we should know why we are. 
Well, first of all, we, we know that Moses was called by God. And as a matter of fact, even from birth, Moses was protected from the hand of Pharaoh by being hid alongside the stream and alongside the river. And, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and raises him and as, as, his, as her own son. And, and then he flees out into the wilderness. We know the stories of this, don't we, children? And there in the wilderness, God is, God is calling him from Mount Horeb through a, a burning bush. Calling him to deliver his people out of Egypt. He's called by God. He's ordained by God. He's an eyewitness of the glory of God at the burning bush. And he's sent. He's a sent one as an apostle. As an eyewitness of God's glory to bring his people and to deliver them out of Egypt. That's what we know secondly, don't we? There's probably not a greater act in all of the, New, all of the Old Testament, is there? than Israel being delivered through the hand of Moses. But never forget, it was by the power of God. By the power of Moses, but by the power of God. And yet, Moses was the instrument that God used as the Nile is turned to blood, as the plagues come upon the land of frogs and gnats and flies and hail and boils. And and on that dark night of the Passover, the eldest sons of the Egyptians were given unto death. The staff of Moses it was parted the Red Sea so that his people could pass through on dry land. And that staff was directed over the sea to, to cause the waters to flood over the Egyptians. So they perished forever. He delivers them. A delivering power radiated from Moses. But it was the power of God. We think of Moses as a great prophet. Here I, I just invite you to turn to Numbers chapter 12. Uh, it beautifully illustrates many of the points I want to make. It, uh, it's quite, a, a, quite an interesting account in Numbers chapter 12. And many of the things that the author of Hebrews is picking up on is, comes from here. He was, he was very faithful. He's even, even called faithful in the house of God here. He's faithful in all my house in verse 7. But notice here in Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron, they spoke against Moses because Moses had married an Ethiopian woman. And, uh, and, and they, they didn't agree with that interracial marriage. And, 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 and uh, they spoke against Moses. And the Lord heard it. And he, he, was, he was very upset that Miriam and Aaron would critique Moses for marrying an Ethiopian woman. And he punishes them because he goes and he stands up for Moses. Verse 3, now the man Moses was very humble. Moses had a character, and that's what I want to point out. Moses had a character of humility or meekness more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. And so God stands up for his humble servant, his humble faithful servant. And the Lord stands up for him. And he says, calls Aaron and Miriam and Moses out to the tabernacle of meeting. And the three came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called them there. And, and he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. 
He is faithful in all my house, and I speak with Him face to face. Even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord was roused up against them. And what happened? Miriam becomes leprous, white as snow. Aaron turns to her and looks. And she's a leper. And he cries out to Moses. And now think about this. Aaron is the high priest. Aaron is the one who's called to be the high priest. And he cries out to who? To Moses. Why wouldn't he cry out to God? Because even as we read the law, isn't it true that Moses was the one that the people asked to go between them and God? He was the high priest. Not only was he the apostle who's God is speaking to and communicating through. But he's the high priest, the go-between between man and God. And he cries out to Moses. And what does Moses do then? He cries out to God. He says, and, and Moses, Moses is, they're, they're attacking Moses. God punishes Miriam. And Moses doesn't say, oh, good for you. You got what you deserve. No, he cries out to God and he says to God, please heal her, oh God, I pray. That's a, that's a humble high priest. That's a meek and a lowly high priest. But is that, I, I just want to say how much more the Lord Jesus Christ is, but we're going to wait with that. Just think about who Moses is. But already in your mind, you can be thinking about how Jesus is even more superior than Moses. Moses came to mediate that law from God to man. He came to intercede even for Miriam's and Aaron's unto God. He come. And he was sent by God to deliver his people out of Egypt. But the author of Hebrews doesn't just draw all the connections between Moses and Jesus here. What he does is he compares their callings. And when he compares their callings, he's saying, consider Moses' calling in light of Christ's calling. Moses was called to be the servant in my temple, in my house, in my tabernacle. But consider the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful one, The calling of being an heir and an owner in my house. Notice this in verse 2. He says, Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. And if you have your Bible open there, you notice that he's not talking about Moses' house. Because the... The word his there is in capital letters, isn't it? His is God's house. And that's from the context very clear as well that Moses was a servant in God's house and he was faithful in all of God's house. In the very tabernacle where God dwelt with his people in the holy of holies. There Moses, a ministering apostle and high priest, a servant in God's house with faithful, but... 
Now drop down to verse 4. For every house is built by someone. Moses was not the architect of this house. Moses was not the builder of this house. He was faithful servant in this house. But God is the builder of all things. And God has appointed His Son to be heir of this house, to be the builder of this house, to be the owner of this house. The Lord Jesus Christ has been faithful from all eternity as the one who's building this house, the very architecture of this house. And He comes as the house redeemer, the house purchaser. He he is the owner of this house. Now if you would go and visit a very beautiful home, would you go up to the servant and say, oh, how wonderful the servant is in this home. You would be looking at the architecture of this home. You'd be asking who was the architect. And you'd be asking who was the builder. And and you want to see the blueprint and whatever. But but you wouldn't be saying, oh, look at that wonderful servant, that faithful servant. You would want to know the faithfulness of the owner, of the architect, the builder. And that's what the author to Hebrews is saying here. The faithfulness of the one The one who owns it all. The one who builds his house. That's whom you have to look to. He's superior to Moses. Yes, Jesus came as a servant, but also as the owner. He was faithful. Moses was faithful. But it's not about Moses' faithfulness. It's about Jesus' faithfulness. Our confidence and help and our hope is not in our faithfulness or another mere man's faithfulness. It's in Jesus Christ. It's not in another person or a thing or a ritual or a service. It's in Christ and His faithfulness. And that's the end of the matter, says the author to the Hebrews. We need to consider Jesus and His faithfulness. As the apostle and high priest of our confession. But before we apply some of these things, I want to see Christ is superior to Moses in glory. In glory. We see he not only as the glory of the one who's appointed heir of all things, we can go back even farther. We can go back to the very glory of his person. We think about the Jews again and how tempting it might have been for them to worship Moses. And, and you can't really fault them for that so much either. Because it's interesting in Exodus 33 that, that whenever Moses would go into the tabernacle, into the tent of meeting with God, the people would stand at the entrance of their own tents and watch Moses as he entered the tent. And when Moses died, what did God do? God, God didn't allow him to die there and for Israel to be able to carry his bones to Egypt and, and maybe to worship his grave. No, what did God do? He, he actually took him 
in the land of Moab there and, and, and buried him somewhere in a valley. We don't know exactly. The grave is not found to this day, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 34. But then he left this testimony with Israel. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, But since then, there has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses, who knew God face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all that great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. Well, I tell you, that, that's, that's really the epitaph on Moses' life. It's no wonder the Jews had so great esteem for Moses. And the author of Hebrews doesn't say that Moses doesn't deserve great esteem. He was a faithful servant in the house of God. And yet, the glory of Christ's person far excels the glory of Moses of the Old Testament. Because he is the Son of God. And in his titles, he is the Apostle. From eternity, already, he has been chosen by God. He has been appointed to this work. He made an agreement between the Father and the Son Himself and the Holy Spirit to be ordained, to be the called one, the sent one, to reveal the glory of the Father, to come in flesh, to be anointed in baptism, to come under the law and to come to redeem His people from their sins. He has come. It's revealed throughout His ministry. And He revealed the Father unto us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. He reveals the Comforter that will come, the Holy Spirit. He is the first Apostle, the great Apostle. He is the source of all apostleship. He is the one who sends forth His apostles with a great commission and the confidence to know that He is with them even to the end. Because He is also our high priest. A one who in His person perfectly became human and perfectly divine at the same time, who knows both God and man, who is the very express image even of His Father. For they are one. And He comes and He communicates between God and man. And He continues to communicate between man and God through the very work that He has done for His people, through His sacrifice. The glory of His person as a God-man. But secondly, the glory of His work. Moses' work was that of a finite servant. One who would ultimately die. His work, it needed the power and the blessing of God. That staff would be of no use unless God gave it power. Moses would have no confidence except for God giving him confidence. But Jesus is an infinite architect. He's an infinite builder. He's one who, who comes to do His work through His own power. 
He has power to lay down his life and to take it back up again because he is God. He has the power to, to give an infinite blessing to his work because he is God. It's a humbling thought, isn't it? Moses, all of your mighty works, were they of God or are they of Moses? They're of God. As a pastor, you feel that so often. The glorious work of being able to proclaim the gospel to, to you as a dear congregation. Done so for the past year. It's a glorious work. I, I can't think of a better work to be able to do and to preach the gospel unto you. That gospel, that's the power of God to salvation. It's a glorious work. It's a powerful work. But it's not the minister's work. And it's not the minister's power. And as a minister, you have to understand and step back and to praise God for His glorious power and His glorious work. And so did Moses. Moses, were these your mighty works or were they God's? Moses, when you parted that sea, were you the one who had the power to separate it? But when Jesus came, Jesus spoke and the seas were still and the disciples looked at him. Who is this who has power over the wind and over the seas? Moses asked God for food and manna comes from heaven. Did Moses make that food every morning? What did Jesus do? He came to feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish. Moses had great powers, but God gave them to him. And yet Jesus came and he, he healed the sick. He caused the lame to walk. The dead to rise. Moses came to be a mediator to bring the law of God to man. Jesus came. He came to, to fulfill that law and to and to perfectly, perfectly obey it and to write it upon our hearts. As a matter of fact, he came to Moses and gave him the law in the first place. Moses didn't think, oh, I think these ten rules would be great for Israel. No, God through Jesus communicated those to him. Moses didn't come up with the prophecies himself. No, God gave them because he knows the future. And yet, Jesus who came to prophesy, who had the future in his hands, could prophesy because of his own knowledge. Moses, he made intercession for the people. But Jesus comes to make intercession based on his own work and his own merits. Moses had a godly character, meek and mild. But Jesus was perfect in that character. 
who could perfectly say, you can come to me. You can cast all your labors and your cares and your concerns upon me. You can take up my cross because I am meek and lowly in heart. I am truly humble. Never once had a frustrating thought. Never once had a proud moment. A glorious work of a glorious person who's building a glorious house. That's what we see thirdly. Christ superior to Moses in the glory of his house. He's the owner, as we've talked about. He's the architect. He's the cornerstone. Notice in verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence. I asked you the question, was the tabernacle Moses' house? No, it's God's house. And Moses was a servant in it. And the New Testament language would actually make Moses a part of God's house. Notice this in Ephesians chapter 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Those brothers, those brethren who are part of that heavenly, partaking of that heavenly calling as we found in our text. The household of God, having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, of Moses himself. Moses, yes, is an important part of that house, really the foundation of that house. But who is the cornerstone? None other than Jesus Christ. He himself is the chief cornerstone. And he is the one who fits and frames the whole building. He is the architect of it, he is the builder of it, he is what it all rests upon. It doesn't rest upon Moses and his faithfulness. It doesn't rest upon Moses and his glory. It doesn't rest on anything in Moses. But it rests upon Jesus Christ. One time I I was visiting with a pastor and friend in um, Alberta. And he was sharing with me how how, you know, if he, if he wasn't a part of this church, you know, he has his fingers so intertwined within the church and cares so much about the church. And I, and I know what his heart is, and it's a good heart. It's a, he's desiring to be faithful in his church. And, and, and yet at the same time, we as pastors have to remember as well, as servants in God's house among God's people, we have to remember it. we are not the chief cornerstone. We are not... Even the foundation. We are a part of His church. And are called to be faithful servants in His church as Moses was. But it's all about the glory of His house. Of His people. Of the family of God. Because that is whom Jesus is purchasing. And who He is building as His house. And this comparison has... It's not minimizing Moses. It's not minimizing his faithfulness. It's not minimizing his glory here in our passage. He was an excellent leader in this house. He was a faithful leader. But the very fact that Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe, He is the appointed heir of this house, it is in Him that this house finds her glory. What do you think? Of Jesus, his person, his work, and his house.
That's what the author of Hebrews is asking us to consider. He says, consider the apostle and high priest of your confession. Seriously consider. What does that word consider mean? It means think very, very carefully about this. I think it's very similar to Hebrews chapter 2. Give the more earnest heed. This word consider here in Greek is a powerful word. It says look attentively at him. Pay close attention. Give him continuous observation and regard. Consider the apostle and high priest of your confession. Well, how do we, how do, we do that? First of all, we have to have a desire. A desire as the brethren and partakers of this holy, of this heavenly calling. We have to have an exclusive desire for the Lord and for this, high, this apostle and high priest of our confession. I think of David in Psalm 27. One thing I have I desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and inquire in His temple. That's His desire. It's to be close to God. To be where God is. To consider Jesus in New Testament language, and His building, His people. That's that's what we are called to consider. To have that desire. I think of Paul in Philippians 3, where he says, I have to count all things but loss. I have to count my own righteousness as loss. I have to count all the things that I would have held on to in this life as dung, as worthless, as refuse. All has to be counted as loss that I might have the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's his desire. It's an exclusive and continual desire to know Jesus better. So we're called today to consider him, to hear him, yes, as we heard over the past months. But to consider Him, really consider Him, to give diligent heed to the things we are learning. To hear Him as an apostle, to pray to Him as our high priest, to see His sacrifice, to see His blessing hands from heaven, to hear Him in His Word, and to believe it. What is your desire in this world? I think of Judaism impacting the Jewish Christians here again. And they would say, well, it's about all of the rituals that, that take place in the tabernacle. But maybe we too have those same kind of things. Maybe we've had a really blessed advent remembering the redemptive work of Christ, but but maybe we 
want, are tempted sometimes to hold on to the blessedness of just the season rather than the real meaning of the redemptive work of Christ. It's like Jesus comes in John chapter 7 and in the last day of that great day of the feast, Jesus stands up and says, if any man once is still thirsty after all of what happened in the temple, in the tabernacle here, if any man's still thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Maybe we need to hear that today. To really consider Jesus. Or maybe we're in this world and the world is distracting us with all kinds of wrong information and, and information that would detract us from God. Or the, the, the desire for more money and more material and more comforts. And, and God says, no, that's not ultimately what your desire should be. It should be Jesus. Give me Jesus else I die. Don't give me a wonderful holiday season lest I die. No, give me Jesus lest I die. And we need to have diligence when we consider something like this. We need to focus on it. We need to concentrate on it. We need to fix our thoughts on it. And those thoughts need to be disciplined, even as Paul says in Colossians 3, 1-2. If we are raised with Christ, then seek the things which are above. It takes seeking. And it takes diligent seeking. Notice what he says. Set your mind on things above. It's not to set your mind on your business. It's not to set your mind on materialism. It's not to set your mind on, on all the pleasures of this world. It's to set your mind on God, on Jesus, on His resurrection, and the hope that He gives in that resurrection. If your mind isn't there, we're in trouble. Real trouble. This is what we're told to consider. Notice what he says at the end of chapter, verse 6. Whose house we are. This is, this is what Jesus is. This is what uh, the son's house. Notice verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. We are his house. We are his household. As brethren, as partakers of that heavenly calling, as brothers and sisters in Jesus, we are His house. But then there's this little word that should cause all of us to, to stop and think. A little word, if. And this will come up many times in the book of Hebrews. If. If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. If we hold fast. And this condition will come up again and again, but what this condition is doing is calling us to test our faith and ask ourselves, is our faith real? Yes or no? Because if you have an authentic faith, if you do not have a real faith, if you are not faithful as Moses was in, in God's house, and you are not holding on to Jesus Christ, 
holding fast to Him. Then you're not part of His house. And that's as simple as that. Are you part of His house? I can't answer that for you. But you know, are you considering? You know if you're giving diligent heed. You know if you're holding fast to Jesus like like Jacob. Saying, I will not let you go except you bless me. Because you are the high priest and you are the apostle of my confession. I can't let you go. Because I can't live without you and I can't die without you. This qualification here sets the stage for the rest of the chapter that shows what happened to Israel when they were unfaithful and perished in the wilderness. That is not what the apostle wants when he writes this to you about the apostle of our confession. And of our faith. He wants us to test whether we are holding fast. I'll explain some other time why this does not undermine the perseverance of the saints or the assurance of faith that we can have when we put our trust in Jesus, but rather that it affirms it. But for now, let's go home with this question. Are we persevering? Through the tides of this life, or are we drifting away? Is our confidence in Jesus Christ, is our confidence and hope in the eternal glory that He has purchased for us, is our confidence in the person of the gospel, the apostle and high priest of our confession? If so, Continue to hold on. Have a death grip on it. Because here is the heart of the matter. The desire of the nations has come. The Lord Jesus Christ. And He must be your and my chief desire. And I need to be diligent. And you need to be diligent to hold fast to Him and don't let Him go because ultimately we are only faithful in and through His power and His grace. But His power and His grace and His faithfulness motivates us, fuels us to press forward to the prize of the high calling that there is as brothers of Christ, sisters and brothers in Christ. Let us press on, holding fast, holding fast our confession, our confidence, and rejoicing of hope unto the end. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for who you are. Superior 
to all things. For you, O Lord, have been appointed heir of all things, heir of your house, the son of the house, the owner, the one who from eternity put out the architectural plans for this house, the house of God, who's building it even today through the words of the prophets, the words of the apostles, who's calling us today to consider, to consider yourself and to hold fast by faith and in faith. Lord, we pray, make us faithful servants in your house every day of our life, not because of our faithfulness, Lord, that it will be praised, but because of your faithfulness that motivates us and fuels us to press on to that high calling of being in the family of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.